recorded live in Manhattan's East Village at St. Mark's Church in the Bowery. This is The Poetry Project. Hi everyone, thank you for coming. Good evening. My name is Christine Howe and I'm the Friday Night Series Coordinator for the Fall 2014 series of The Poetry Project on Friday Nights. Um, thank you for coming and for supporting the project and readings by Oki Sagumi and a performance by Jeff Kurosaki and Tara Pelletier. Um, Oki will read first and we'll take a short break and then Jeff and Tara will perform. Please feel free to pick up the newsletter at that front table um, and visit the website for upcoming events and to check out the online calendar. In two weeks, on December 5th, we'll have Claudia LaRocco and Corinne keithley Sires. So hopefully you can come up to that as well. I've never felt as outside of myself, so beyond the limits of my physical body, as I have after reading Oki Sugumi's writing. Being inside her poems is like moving while being completely submerged in another element. I am swimming. She writes, Looking at children and thinking the children don't care about the children. They don't share some idea of their collective future. They want to cut each other's eyes out with scissors and make necklaces of eyes that glitter. They want other eyes to do the watching for them. They want someone else to future into the abyss. They hop onto the back of the black boar and hold tight to his coarse hair and say, run fast and don't stop. Science fiction and radical politics merge within a fluid, poetic space, and what results is not only an unexpected voice, but a strange and necessary one. A voice, I believe, which will guide us into the future. Ogi Sagumi was born in Seoul, Korea, and currently resides in Philadelphia. She is the author of The Island of Natural History, forthcoming from Publication Studio, a chapbook, Salt Wedge, and the brand new chapbook called Under Lazy, which is available at that side table, put out by Yo-Yo Portable Press, Yo-Yo Labs. Her poetry has been included in High Zero, Lies Journal, 11 by 11, and can be easily found on the internet. Please welcome first-time reader to the project, Toki Patriarchy, capitalism, prison, etc. Take your pick. 
is suicide the ever-resistant final fuck you to that slow poisoning? Is suicide the best star, the prettiest girl, the tightest beat you ever danced to? Can I literally kill the cop in my head, burn away civilization's noose? If one takes down one's enemies with them to hell, does one also have to drag those bodies down? A black river, like a horse on fire. I went to court to deny my suicide, my perpetuation of suicide. I refused to answer their questions, which they took to be a sign of suicide. Part two, housing. They couldn't find a place to lay their head. There were more than 80,000 empty beds in the city. There were people forcefully removed from their apartments so they could be renovated. Families died from carbon monoxide poisoning. They were burning their belongings in the middle of the room. They were found huddled together. Red circles around the Katia call marks. They killed the landlord and they lit the house on fire and swam into the middle of the heat. Prospectors gathered around the charred foundation. We're busy capturing the sun, they said. Opportunities aren't forever. You sleep, you die, they said. That's the business. Part three, debt. The story of my generation was a story of debt. I bought one million dogs. But the investment didn't pay off. Everyone else had one million dogs. Some paid more, some paid less. Many dogs died in the process as prices were haggled, raised, and forged into debt. In private, I wept over my one million dogs, but the dogs paid no attention. Finally, in public, we built an army of dogs, the rewilding of our debts. Part four, belonging. I am exactly where I need to be, lost and on my last woman one, my last four hundred dollars. I have hurried past the city of my suicide into something brighter and more gone. The ruins of this architecture are dazzling. Our ways, we're running in the grass, it's ruthless. Our ways of being numbered and cast away. The grass cuts like all intimacies. We are intimate and fighting and that's all I need to know. All the knots and all the grasses. Then we throw the net up. I will leave in no world, but I want to trace every bit of it with fine lines of no hope. Um, this is a song that I can't sing, so let's read it. Um, should I stay or should I go? Shall I stay to hear Dana's ecstatic piano? Shall I go stand with Charmy under the new moon? Shall I stay to be in a pouch with Wendy? Shall I go and become a little fuzz, as Rolla said? Shall I stay with Jack's pale lilies? Shall I go towards Laura's trees that hang heavy with coffee? Oh, oh, always the same crisis of being. Of long days of missing you and then the road. Of should I stay or should I go? Shall I stay and babysit more baby drinks? Shall I go a thirsty way with boys of summer? Shall I stay and dance the stupid sick night? Shall I go and dream this dirty hair away? Shall I stay and let the honey eat me? Shall I go and let the mama get me? Oh, oh, 
big love sounds, goodbyes and lies. Holding faces close, holding them afar, saying, should I stay or should I go? A plane carrying a load of crystals. I filled my mom with water and told her, you are all alone. I filled my dad with salt and told him, you can go now. I filled my brother and my sister and my tiny soul with light and we strolled into Los Angeles strip malls to eat Thai food. We slept on old mattresses with no frames and wondered if we were falling onto the floor. We slept on floors and listened to trains hitting dogs at night, whining, whining. We went into the grocery store and said we would meet somewhere in the middle, but the refrigerated sections threw off our sense of space and geography let alone fractions. At night, sometimes, the neighbors screamed. The screaming drove all the math out of my head. Finally, at dawn, the roosters would begin, and the ants would start on my legs and crawl up to my underwear, and I would know it was time for a shower. In the shower, I chewed on tapioca and tried to get clean. I wavered like bent plants, somewhere between too much eyeliner and avoiding eye contact. Somewhere between the water of my mom and the salt of my dad, there was a sink. Salt dispersed in the water. And I carried that saline container, put it up against the light. It became liquid quartz. I pressed my eyes there in weakness. I wanted very much to see that dark green of mugwort, pounded until its angels darkened my gums, filled the holes in my teeth, the putty of garbage hybrid. I ground the ink so dad could cover me in the brush, characters I couldn't read. I took off the Teflon coating to scare my mom. She checked on the birthmarks that appeared after we got on the plane to make sure the evil did not grow. My sister helped me cover the beige foundation. My brother closed my feet which were the most marked, swollen with ant bites. In a cathedral in Boston, I met a sweetheart. I showed off my marks under the light, a modern dove with modern hair. But they rubbed off with salt water, and the sweetheart couldn't see me. In a storm drain in San Fernando Valley, I softened into an earthquake and threw up earth and my hair was tangled with the earth, and I couldn't get up. The Santa Annas kept knocking me to the ground. I was a ton of construction dust by the time I got to Oakland. I became the China with long black hair. I ate the way toward health. People put their hands on my comatose body to get healing. I woke up later and blew one holy bubble on May Day and said goodbye. I got on the same transparent plane that imported my kind. I filled my mom with water and told her. Yutnori, new year, new play. I didn't live through the, through the dictatorship. I wasn't yet. A paranoid. I wasn't yet held to the oily flames. I wasn't yet beginning this round of Yutnodi. I wasn't yet repeating a bridge scenario. 
I wasn't yet live fire bird shot yet. I didn't know about blindness yet, nor about the consequences for what I fought. And I fought not for the democracy flooding the arena then. I still had not started the game of mutinoity then. But even a nascent idea could spark investment then. I wandered that German campus thinking, I'm yours if you're who you say you were then. Our creditors might find us, but flesh had been credited long ago, even then. What I mean is the North Atlantic already existed then. Before scrollable scores, there were plenty of marks made on paper then. It was understood people fell off buildings, objects, and objects attached themselves neatly to. The economy improved under protectionist measures, by which is meant under the duress of tribunals, isolation of riots, by which is meant collaborators, people with their backs turned the wrong way, by which is meant the game begins, sticks are cast, dog, dog, two, two, by which is meant predictably the intended result, by which is meant any corrective as an obscene gesture, mother eater, by which is meant boiled culture with water deer, by which they never meant any of it, but it's not intention that does that undoes the paving. Pavements press down on people to make way for the money horses moving towards the soul center of the Busan corner. So this is how the game continues getting stuck on home. So the center and corner need to fall out at the same time. So I hated her, but in her universe, love was more violent. So non-violence wasn't a real option, just violence deferred. So we found others hiding in the hypermart, dressed in vegetation. So we unearthed all the dying before the chance intersection. So necessarily, no future resides in a place. All notion of a good option deferred. No more advice. No innocence as requirement. No remote prime reports. No profiteers of small utopias. No hills at all, no sincere tropical vacation, no ramen hotels, no, mostly everyone is the enemy as long as this is where we live. World generating Kia motors. Girls traded in embarrassments while glossing fly emirates. Crawling on the floor in pain, the pain of others can be clearly understood, Kia motors. Yet it is possible to act without intimate conversation, just fly emirates. Vital stocking up with fluid organ fermentations, Kia motors. Undiagnosables bled, cut, gun, shipped, fly emirates. Do not stare so hard, you solar, like you are alive. Do not. Like we all have two arms, we don't, do we? I'm sitting in the corner with tentacles, no arms, we don't, do we? I cooked up the recognition you deserve, but we don't, do we? This is not our house. We don't have a house, do we? If once I held you a virgin of you, but we don't, do we? As I've been saying all day, they can call me a girl, but we don't, do we? More like monstrous, do we, do we? Are dying, are dying, or the monstrous die. This is ours. Liberté, égalité, Beyoncé, in it, a glitter graft, insect babes posing as seeds in it. If we call it love, what we might get away with in it. 
If you don't call me, just forget those particular years in it. If you don't text me, I might just have to hack another way towards living in it. If unraveling, if worrying the degree of whiteness in it, if your body becomes another baton, what's in it? No one who survives the elevator survives the high rises, erupting as too many mirrors. The palace in which I might find you is an infection night, full of spreading investigations, a spiral of time screwing away night, from the immolated stars tipping from the high-rise edge night, the house where we met was a near-poison night. Not only because of borrowed minutes, but by night, looking at the footage, it's obvious we died that night. Or else we committed murder on the authorities of night. There's a disappearance which finds no convincing camera. You say you saw me. I didn't, not living, not yet. Um, the next section is um, our poems that I wrote very recently, um, having to do, I think thinking about sexual violence in many scenes, but maybe particularly in poetry um, scenes. <clears throat> From Smear. This one is supposed to be quite a bendy, a flexible one. All the elastic qualities, all the fleshy leftover. This one is supposed to be the accommodating bridge, meant to soothe the angst of the periphery, but not live there too much. This one is called a traveler, but this is not the traveler who interprets and translates. The translation goes in one direction. A plastic part slipped in between to smooth a transition. A cheap conduit, a replaceable thing. This one has a house inside of it, or a dream of a house. Every aspect of it so sunken in, so turned inside out, so broken. It's more like a threadbare, house-shaped pocket. Paranoid fringe which frays out, puffs, a lace made of trash. This one is going to look through the part of properly spangled, a big gilt letter flung loose and whirling through the charred tornado. Book, knife, cake, what friends are for against love. This one is in love, though, soaked in it, a pineapple bath upside down, rung flambe of love. There was a particular music to the sound of friends' names, and that was because it repeated, then suddenly wanting another atonal noise. This one is flat and lacks personality, refuses to reform, just hides on coy and undefined eyebrows. Can a thing be said to have friendship? Thing looks upon the book, the knife, and the cake, wet with envy. This one lives in the closet as a dog, or else in the office as a plant. The dog or the plant are routines for making better workers, plugging in data into a template, an architecture, putting biscuits inside a mouth, pushing pellets into a soil. 
This one is a loose scholar, full of soil, grit all up in the pen, the eyes, the holes, the creases. A poorly welded crease in the conduit is leaking all the juice and all the goo and all manner of odorous. This one tried to believe in smelly music, tried to tear more conduits open through this shadow optimism. Plastic parts can become its own junk river, its own oozy smear upon the earth. This one becomes its own junk vehicle on the junk river, which sings a junk song. Ownership gets melted and gooed too, an oil that moves slowly toward fire. This one says there's a whole lot of Russian against, glasses clinking lightly, but what of the movement of the smears? Dirt vehicles are being wheeled into a showcase, all marked with their special number, brushed with pineapple blades and told, so lovely, so lovely. This one holds up the letter with all the names of men who are threatening to sue, declares it is a letter from the city, declares it is a record of the arrested, and it is burned. A micro scene is not the economy, not a city, not a jail. It is hardly a place at all. Yet this one circulates in it. Yet this one languishes in it. Yet this one dies in it. A scene of two, or a polyamory Google calendar, with a brutal ice rink of a bitter town. It's all circling and scraping at the ice. This one refuses to call a letter of burning, and what may yet still come, anti-violence. The odor is acrid, the junk counter cuts, and the floppy lace is invasive, refuses to promise safety. Wildly external, wandering and carving and whipping the place up, destroy the scene. Timon. The butchers sat down to dinner. The table was covered in silk, strewn around were tiny rubies meant to look like glistening drops of blood to whet the appetite. Those who had their heavy hands on the table got rubies stuck to them, leaving ghostly marks on the skin. Their skin was their skin washed as it was in blood, so many times over had stained. They were rubbed with a cream of snails, and then dusted in pearl powder. This was allowed to set and in the candlelight they glowed of subdued blood. They were butchers, not vampires, so it was right the blood was external in this way. Their boots were still covered in the sticky oil of the rivers, and the sludge moved through the course of the dinner off the rubber and onto the floor and the carpets, and mysteriously even to the curtains and the crystalware. Later in the evening, they would be set upon the world but for now, they ate carefully, cutting the organs with expert precision. Their knives, knowing what was sinew, what was muscle, what would give away and what would remain stubbornly welded. Each wore a gold necklace on which dangled the words, bad bitches. As they ate, they became vessels of all the organs and all the cuts on all the organs, which were now obscured in the dark glass of the butcher's bodies. Tonight, the butchers whispered to each other in total conspiracy. Tonight, they said, exchanging kisses and bites. Tonight, they would swallow a light into their vessels and run together into the town.
and back again. She sat next to the river, so tired she couldn't move her arms to cover the eyes from the sun above, so she closed them and peered at the sparks of her eyelids. She sat next to the river and did not watch the junks pass by, but knew that they were... She pushed her fingers against the knotted muscles on her face from grinding her jaw to too much from too much coffee from being on the phone, she moves her back shoulder to make its clicking sound. She sat next to the water and felt a warm, a savory warmth like she had just eaten a hamburger. All of her body was softening like trash. She couldn't feel her hands. Her hands were dispersed, foam puffs lapping at the edge of the river, just riding it if she stayed there long enough. Her body would become rose-colored, estranged from the rose. If she stayed there longer, it would get covered in husks, blown out of a buckwheat pillow. Then she might look like a natural thing, a passive place that they always said she resembled. Her insecure architecture was showing, they said, while she peeled and applied a sticker on her particular spot by the river. When she was younger, she had to wet and wring a small towel and put it by her bed so her insides would not dry out and sicken. She had to chew boiled greens that were covered in tiny thorns so she couldn't chew so fast, but had to chew enough to go from bitter to sweetness all along that river, all the river. Um, this is a poem for Anne Boyer. It's called, Some Problems I'm Trying to Tell You. It's said like that. I'm catastrophizing. A series of catastrophes are blowing up all the tender things. I'm being grim. A lot of shit is grim. I'm weaving this narrative. The narrative is warping the character fabric to become me. This girl is traveling to another time. She's trapped in a clinic being drained of blood. In my dream, I am jealous. Bodies are laughing underneath a blanket. Their outlines speaking to each other. In the dream, I have no eyes and can't possibly be seeing that. But the dream is telling me what I want to know, saying, you already see. Dear feminist effective categories, the psychic pedagogy of envy. I was a young asshole too once, is a way to assert youth invalidates a politics. Somewhere, these people say, is a properly political subject. Curious how it shifts just out of sight, far comfortably away from their social sphere life. In the clinic, she holds her vacant eyes in her hands. These will not be taken. She is traveling through the blanket. All the bodies melt into the blanket. In the clinic, bodies are growing thin, thinner than any eye can hold. The centrifuge spins her blood out, but separation doesn't save her. The periphery is still a place in relation to a center, so how to undo the relations? Underneath the skin, more skin, full of knowing stuff. Inflaming all that stuff is all the time already sold. Street hawkers dance the clacking of severed falcon beaks. There's not enough words anyone can say to speak truth to power. Anne and I talk about how there aren't enough enlightenments to confess or provide mental lamb as victim pornography for. That can't end well. Nobody wants to look you in the eye when you say, 
But everyone still wants to hear the story to judge for themselves. When you begin to tell, you become the one who tells. But whether the girl gives or is taken for blood, she is carelessly leaving blood everywhere. She was born bloody, born in a clinic of suckers. The beatings do not work, the accountability processes do not work, banishment does not work, forgiveness does not work. The fact that sometimes a <sighs> chooses a violent response suggests that all the impossible choices given to Ugh! Ugh! has opted for the one that expresses the actual degree of hostility at the level of the social group. That is the hostility of Ugh! as a group against the domination of Ugh! as a group. Girl becomes the point of catharsis in her telling. The catharsis shaped not by her actions, an extractive way. How much blood the clinic needs. How many clients are thirsty. She fills out a form, is asked invasive questions, waits, bored, watching the clinic clock. As they slap suckers onto her skin, their slime-covered exoskeletons shuddering with contact. A stunt girl, jumping into a multi-vocal plane. A sea of alien bodies glittering like oruses, shored up on this death beach. Their bodies already rendered bounceable, surface-like. Recall a poster reading, we are your friends, you'll never be alone again, as you sit in the clinic, holding your own hand, a phantom, phantom fingers sprouting from the wrists to scratch at the palms, stuck between the telling and a bad place. Ratioed. Society calls them sexuals, we call them friends. Society calls us sexuals. We are friends, but not with society. We know each other from the moments we can recall. The geography of our togetherness, which might be a plaza, a square, a sudden cache of rocks. From flashpoint to flashbang, in an instant, everything had become connected. We were falling ill. Health is a problematic concept, like is it healthy to be born in flames? I want to be in that light. I want to wear a robe of starlight that kills rapists. I'm caught up in that rage-chill dichotomy again. The megaplex bleeds when stabbed, jump cut to the deflated silver flooding the parking lot. And also, fuck the guy who breaks down why the thing he does is fucked up in order to keep doing the thing. The logics of all worlds we fail to comprehend are going to kick that guy's ass, and he will have no way to explain it. You might recognize my need to nap all of a sudden, because a surge of sugar and chatter, rediscovering why that candy was good. Because the last look I cast in your direction sadder than I meant to. Our similar, similar tired, our need to circle back to this conversation. You just don't want to be looked at. Sometimes a haze above a crowd. Is it a collective steam? What is the ratio of a friend? What is the weight? 
It helps to not be liked by enemies. It helps in deciphering the haze. It helps in the blockade of everything. And that's the poems that I will read. Um, I'm going to read a little bit from the book that I am working on. The book is, is maybe going to be called The Island of Natural History, but I'm not sure yet. Another Los Angeles night sucked on her. The blue lights indicating hazardous air blinkered, reflecting off the riders' masks as they zoomed past the window of the bar. They were riding their four-wheel desert traversal vehicles from a cleaner place, an underground garage, perhaps, not yet covered in dirt, haze, or unknowns. Their dark jackets tight around their forms, a fleet of leather-coated ghosts. Kian turned from the scene and swayed towards the dispensary box, trying to make sense of its shimmering graphics. She gave up and sort of shuffled to the corner, full of old polymer and dust-coated lamps and lean on the wall, dizzy with the bad air. The air filters were to life. Sometimes she got stuck in these corners, too exhausted or sick to work at this dispensary box. She tried to get her breath back. Kyung wore her black hair in a wet-looking braided coil around her head and a blue cap over it. She had a skin-thin element-resistant jacket on which she draped a which draped just back, past her knees and loose trousers, her usual uniform. It was designed to hide the symptomatic pale, shiny welts of her illness that some call a gift, others a time interface. Her disease was dormant, and she hadn't been in the throes of time movement for years, but it was always prudent to keep it unknown to others. There would be annoying questions. At a dispensary bar, there could be corporate scouts, blending into the crowd, on the lookout for the time gifted. There were all kinds of creeps, and it was useful to have an extra skin. She preferred to keep to herself in all senses, and this particular bar was on the quiet side. It was unmarked and unsigned on the outside, and seemed to double as a small furniture warehouse. Thankfully tonight, almost everyone else was outfitted, outfitted in selective resistant clothing that covered their skin, so she didn't stand out. Some in homemade jackets made of discarded medical package, packaging, and others in pricey numbers that claimed numerous features. Maintaining specific body temperature, filtering sunlight, custom fitting. If anything, being unmasked, she looked rather exposed as well as senseless for not checking if it was going to be a blue light day or not. Her cheap jacket rustled as she moved back into the dispensary box, as she finally managed to get to the start screen, insert her tester code, and inject herself with the newest wellness corporation serum. The chemicals left up in her blood took to her visual cortex, 
like they had a direct line. She was immersed in dancers, all weeping sparks, wet and throwing off more light as they jerked, then winding through the interiors of endless parapets, with bits of cold air coming through the stones, and a final digital shuddering as the, as the castles disintegrated. It wasn't a new high. It was the high of everything past already, in historical bouncing, all big slaps. It was all quick, a matter of seconds, though she had been able to sustain it far enough above average to earn extra certificates. Her head was left with a leaking sensation. The other testers had passed out completely. The final pop-up box, the final pop-up in the box asked her, board this vehicle, yes or no? Still drooling, she banged her head into the shimmer. She moved her hands as if trying to move hair or obscuring branches from her face. From across the bar, it looked like a large swoops of signature made in the air. Later, she would remember the application to the wellness center as slipping into an alternative to nothing else. It didn't take much for her to believe that the stark opposite of her disappearing life might as well be her new real. That she might reach the minute, the day, the week, to hold off the minute, the day, the week. Hyun jogged home, a small place, not far enough underground to be cool. The threads of the high came off her in the steamy evening, leaving her skin feeling clean and squishy for once. She passed the billboard with decades of old wellness advertisements, a warm-toned urban tableau with a statistical quote about diet and healthy families. You want to feed your family, it declared. They were doing slightly different research back then. You want to feed your family. You want to be okay, you want to make it home, you want to no longer be hungry, actually for the possibility of hunger to be removed. Some of the wakeness came back and stayed with her for a few days, as it often did. Not as bad as the other testers, and she had the advantage of not being an addict. The after effects, as well as the general possibility of withdrawal, could be much worse. She sat in her own sweat, nauseous and afraid to move not feeling gratitude. These manicured bunker units were built for families, like one of those healthy families from the billboard. On the walls, pictures of boys playing with a ball and a lizard of some kind. They were someone's boys, and the light of that particular afternoon the photo was taken was someone's. Yet this space, they belonged to no one. When she first got a unit through lottery assignment, there were large, shaggy, decorative weavings on the walls, folded in. But these soon became mildewed and moldy, and then slowly began to rot, disintegrating on the walls. They were meant to make the space more homelike, but it was the rot she understood. It was the rot that allowed her to take a knife and shred the hangings away from the wall. Then for months, she welcomed the bare wall, the lack of institutional remorse, the empty promise showing itself naked. When the nausea would subside, she would dampen a towel and lie on it. Then she, when she could move, she had the urge to move the furniture around, forgetting that everything was screwed down to the concrete. She wanted to disrupt the arrangement, 
everything radiating out from the center, like a formation of satellites. It gave her the spins. She would close her eyes, imagine moving everything around, that all the centralized air would be sucked out, that plants could live inside, not neat and disciplined plants. This new room would, began, would begin with a swamp spreading across the chill. But every time she would imagine the couch on a different wall, the chair stacked or tossed, or a table pushed crooked, she too would be moved to another part of the arrangement. Her limbs askew to hold her body up in relation to the walls or the floor or the other furniture. On day three, a man in a slick neoprene suit with gold zippers knocked on the door. He introduced himself as Bunny, a lawyer from the wellness corporate headquarters. Ken was surprised to hear a knock, and more so that it was for her in particular. Bunny moved easily past her tranquilized figure and sat himself on the couch, tossed, tossing his throwaway dust poncho on the floor, never bothering to pick it up again. Here are the documents you previously signed. Please read them over carefully and let me know if you have any questions, which I can then direct towards our legal board for the recommendations. He sipped on a bottle of vegetable drink as she looked at the papers, which they both understood to be a mere legal formality, confirming that she was a live body, caught, and ready to be brought in. The documents explained Kian would be a, a, quote, a valuable research partner. We value you. You want to be okay. Within the hour, she was on the first leg of the transport. I'm going to read a little bit from later. Illness has a shadow activity around its head, a murky dancing, the motion which gives it shape through time. Hers was spreading, so the counter move was immersion. The feeling wasn't so different from all the other times Hyun was pulled from the beach to wade suddenly into the cool water. When her belly slid on rock laced with barnacle, wet skin drying to traces of ashy bomb tests, but that had been a lifetime ago. When the beach was that place away from life, of delirious rest, where everyone was always more hungry, eating seaweed which shone like a blackened geode, loads of green and metal, and lost in hypnotic activity until suddenly the red horizon drops and it's incredibly dark, all of a sudden. The sunset is what they tell you to watch for, but the moment Hyun felt in her body that magnetic sinking was at the onset of dusk, all of a sudden. And the water looks mercurial and black underneath, a shadow of itself, when the shadows of things she thought were fish, gliding close to her legs, were now the entire water. Now all her clothes were on the shore, strewn like someone threw them across a room with no intention of picking them up. The ocean barred her from proper actions. The sun was starting to come into view. Hyun lifted her arms up, wet in the bare light. The welts of her undiagnosed affliction. Lumpy trade bees strung under her skin. The first time the disease came to her, it was a particularly humid summer. 
Everyone was perpetually drenched in cold hose water, holding ice in their mouths. Her and her siblings slept on thin bamboo sheets, rough and cool, underneath mosquito nets, which showed up as sails in their dreams, transporting them to special ice caverns. On particularly hot days, they jumped into ponds and came out covered in flat, fat leeches, leaving contusions on the legs. But then, forgetting, they'd jump in again, as if in a purifying ritual, a self-baptism, and emerge blessed by tiny succubae. In their delirium, they did strange things, chewed on bark and pine resin, ground unknown inedible berries and smeared the juice on their brown arms. The hot smell of flowers was everywhere, and it made them want to devour everything. They gathered fruit and came home with only a handful, drunk with sugar, stung by jealous bees. They dove for and ate chopped flesh of conch, lurking with the occasional hermit crabs and small fish. In the evenings, they harvested the remaining vegetables untouched by the vindictive neighborhood dogs. Their hands became fragrant with wild garlic and then with mint. This is how they lived, automatic with madness, forgetting easily. That was the summer of ecological bloom. The oak trees thickened with yellow caterpillars. They dripped off the trees. The ground splattered with yellow mush, which, which dried into stains, all layered over by chewed on oak leaves, bitten green over bitten green. That the caterpillars were numerous had something to do with their dying. Despite having few natural enemies, that summer they seemed to eat and maybe eat themselves. When they were there, life without them was no longer seeable. When they were gone, spaces in the trees seemed strangely without. No butterflies ever came to replace them, and the spaces they left behind were sticky. It opened and shut differently now. You got used to how everything moved with extra weight on it. Later, the wind did as it used to, but her eyes adjusted for the difference. Put those gooey bodies back there. One afternoon, Hyun ran out after a sun shower to catch the last of the cool before it evaporated. Her father held out his hand and tried to hand her a many, like a handshake. She sensed the vibrating thing, the buzz and hard wings hitting his skin. Instantly, she could see all the other many on the island, their constant all-over presence. They could all fit in his hand. Or they weren't there yet, but, it seemed to, but they seemed to be waiting their turn. A mahogany and terrible presence. Like a thousand pieces of his soul might as well, which might as well be her soul, were thundering in hidden places, demanding that she take responsibility for them. That every single one of them had a pair of eyes occurred to her with a shiver. That all of them might be recording her movements and taking note of her speech, or even wordlessness. Aware of what made her wordless, what caused her to speak. She ran, triggering a patch of dragonflies into the sun while the crawling hornets in the sand ignored her. She was aware of how much information they were gaining then. Of what may have caused her to run, where and how she ran, zigzagging to a spot between the trees, cool with moss and free for the moment. Later, I learned the English word cicada, which seemed em emptied of that same proliferative magic, 
sounded more properly insect and science. But once you learn the word, it stays anyway. And often I woke up thinking, now a buzzing science in my mouth. The same hands were once dyed with Bong Song Hua. Bright orange fingernails pressed tight with a mash of petals and leaves. So I know once he was a boy. Always a boy running near the hills of yellow ganari of late spring. Fingers still dyed with the Bong Song Hua of early spring. Later, I would learn words like forsythia, which did nothing to describe the country hills, dotted like toasted pollen with ganari, the dancing ganari. And later, I learned the common name for Bong Song Hua, which was touch me not. Later, I would have the Bong Song Hua pressed on my fingers, sometimes just the pinky drenched orange. We used plastic cling, cling, cling wrap and tightly wrapped scotch tape not the leaves themselves, to cover the innards of flower dye, cutting off the circulation of blood. In that drunk summer, dripping with caterpillars and the drones of the many, a militarized debauchery of insects, her body was already covered in the blood seeking punctures of mosquitoes and leeches. She entered the ocean one day and came out with the beads upon her skin. At first, hardly noticeable, noticeable, no dull pain, no itching, no burning rash sensation, no drip nor pus, no real hot influx of feeling. It was a dreamy time, and the dreaming coincided with trips to the water. She hardly registered this new phenomenon, this barely physical thing up against all that gooey. She entered into the water now thinking something like, I was hoping to forget, to be overwhelmed by summer before the approach of dark. The ocean was a cryogenic room, a place for hovering near death, close to this kind of overwhelming, a place that was cold finally, and within the ocean so many specialized rooms. When she came to lose sensation of her own body, the rooms came into focus. Ceiling papered with a tropical print. Cerulean, pale pink, big waxy flowers that they might drop a sticky amber onto your head. The light was blue, really fucking blue. Your eyes hurt outside the world was still with ice. Outside the world was snow. And not all soft. Bodies falling on the snow. Bodies that disappeared completely. Switched on a lamp and wondered if the light was visible from the outside, like an echo off a thick vein a sky-colored curtain. The light was all wrong. You knew it from another place, a fragment of a bad day, now mostly forgotten. A warm curb, a palm sway, a jasmine thicket fence, a crumbling ruin being patched, falling again, patched again. Delayed color from clouds slid across the sky, their counterparts, the shadows moving through the valley, the clouds looked soundless like piles of heavy insulation. But you felt a dull shuddering, a roaring, a brushing sound. As they touched everything, like out of a compulsion, and most of what they touched was the dried out grass. Once out of the water, the architecture of rooms disappeared. 
but then language returns. And she seemed to wake up. There was a mass of buildings, sort of crumbling. There was a kind of dreaming to pretend that language hadn't happened and that there was no separation from it. Language becomes ripe in the ear, and after a while it falls off the tree. Ripe means it's close to rotting, reeking of perfume. Language was like throwing up at night with other people just to be together. When her eyes were closed, there were arcs of fruit making their way off the mouth. When her eyes were open, she proceeded like that all wasn't happening, but it wasn't easy to retch. Soaked and still numb from the water, she stuck her hand into the clay of the cliffs and tried to make it stick there. Failing that, she stuck the quahog shells and then the abalone shells up in the shapes that she wanted. And the marks, the disease, also wove around her skin in the shapes that it wanted. It was not only spreading, it was her language to speak.
Then the sun changed and the purple mountain turned gold and the clipped peak I witnessed five minutes ago was gone. The only way I could touch the distant hills was to keep driving toward them. When we finally reached them, when we were in them, the picture no longer existed. These unreachable vistas, a detached lover, give me just enough to keep me driving forward. Twirling tumbleweeds and dust licking the surface of everything. Small rocks push through the rubber of my shoe and massage my feet. All of this, I say, sweeping my arms around me, is a cute fade out. the salty horizon line. In 
and inspired the reading and writing of contemporary poetry since 1966. Consider supporting us by checking out a reading, becoming a member, or donating at poetryproject.org. 